Morning. Well, if you've uh, if you've been on vacation, I'll catch you up a little bit. Or I guess even if you have just a really bad memory, we are in the uh, middle of a series called Resilient, and what we're doing is trying to develop uh, more spiritual perseverance. And uh, this is how we have uh, defined perseverance, that ability to continue to follow Christ, loyally, faithfully, following after Christ, not just some of the time, but even when it's hardest, in spite of difficult events or your personal failures and the opposition of people. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we got it started, and we looked at some reasons why you would want to develop uh, perseverance in your life, and we we thought about how really you don't, you don't progress in anything in life without persevering through something, and that's true of your spiritual life, that uh, perseverance is a great idea because when we persevere in the most difficult things of life, that's where we most dramatically experience God's power, and that's a wonderful thing. And then uh, when we persevere following Christ, we, we end up with a life with far fewer regrets, and that's a good thing. I don't think any of us want to set out on a life of regret. Last week, we looked at those difficult events, and we thought about how, you know, when we really face some tough circumstances, we have a a tendency maybe either to try and control those circumstances or to just give up and despair over that, and that we looked at instead. Christ tries to uh, lead us in in a tricky, admittedly tough path of adapting to that and following Him in faith and so forth. And today, I want to look at uh, those personal failures that stuff we deal with and how that can can uh, set us back. Um, so I don't know about you. Does anyone feel like it's a bad season for ants at their house? You know, the little not not like your mother's sister, but those little <laughs> could be bad season for them too. But uh, the, those little creatures at my house, I feel like it's a really bad season for ants. And I, and uh, not this week, but last week, I was sitting out on my backyard and on my deck, and I'm studying for last week's message and. And I look down, and there are just ants all over the place. Not, not like clumps of them, not hordes of them, but like one at a time. There, there's like one here, and there's one there, and there's one there. And they're all just going, you know, like this. And you can't, and I thought, I, I want to know, you know, where are they coming from? So I start following one, you know, and I'm getting dizzy because he's just going nowhere, right? And they're just, they're like lost little ants on my deck. And it was just driving me crazy and and so I thought, you know, I've got to figure out where these things are coming from. So I got a spoonful of honey, and I swiped a piece of cardboard, and I put it down in the middle of the deck, and I just kept studying. And hours later, it was towards the end of the day, and, and uh, I looked down, and I'm still studying. But sure enough, they queued up, you know. They lined up, and they're, they're all kind of like horses around the watering hole, and they're all like aimed in around this honey. And then you can follow the trail, and they go down this board. And then as though the highway department drew a line, they, cr- all, they all cross in the same spot, and then they go on this side of the board right here, and then they go down, and then they come back up, and then they go on the next board, and then they head down under my deck. So I'm thinking, well, of course they do. You know, I should have known that, but I, I, I got to go find them. So I need to crawl under my deck, so I needed some jeans on to do that. So I ran in the house, but it's kind of late in the day, and I want to get back to studying, and, you know, the days are getting shorter, sorry, but um, running out of light, and so I'm like, I really want to do this quick. And so I go in and I think, well, one thing I'll do to save time is I just won't take my shoes off yet. Uh, I won't take my shoes off, I'll just change into my jeans. And so, you know, I'm putting my jeans on and I get one 
foot in there and then you know I'm, I, that's hard and so I got I can't get that one through so I put the other one in and then I and and it just won't you know my my shoe my tennis shoes are stuck like right about here and I can't get it through and it's starting to make me mad and now I realize okay the time I hope to save is completely gone and that makes me more frustrated so I'm like well at least I'm not going to lose to my tennis shoes these things are going through there right I'm going to win something and I keep pushing and pushing and you know I'm just completely stuck till I couldn't possibly do anything but walk around like this (laughs) and sometimes in life we get all tangled up and it's well sometime later it's humorous and then other times in life it's really not that funny. And in Hebrews chapter 1 our, or 12, our, our passage for this series, the author talks about that. He says, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles. You know, and take your tennis shoes off first, by the way. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, so that you can have perseverance in your life in following Christ. And the the little segment we want to think about today and kind of launch off from is this part. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles and let us run with perseverance. There's a, there's a path through life that God has marked out for us. And if we're to get through that, we need to get rid of some, some baggage and some stuff that's going to trip us up. We need to talk about some, some weaknesses, our tendency to be tempted and fall into sin, and just the, the, our immaturity and all those things that, that can get in the way. There's a lot of things we could talk about in that category, but here's our focus for today, and that is that resilient people, I believe, are those who are proactive in managing their weaknesses. Do you notice how he says, you get that stuff off first, and then you can run, right? You notice at the Olympics, they take the weighty stuff off first, and then they run, right? They don't run and then go, hey, I could do without my jacket, you know? They, they, they get rid of the encumbrances first, and that's what we need to do. And I think people who, who really do well at perseverance, who follow Christ faithfully for the long haul, get ahead of things. And they manage those weaknesses, those sins. All, I, I use weaknesses to, to kind of paint a, a broad picture here of the things we're talking about today. Now, God's forgiveness is always in play here when we talk about this stuff. But what we want to talk about is what Hebrews said is being proactive about this and not always just thinking about after the fact, after we've messed up. That's our subject today. Resilient people, I think, are proactive in a couple different ways. It may be a lot of different ways, but I've observed a couple things, and that's what I want to share with you today. The first one is, I think, uh, proactive, proactively kind of managing your weakness, your sin, um, is helped by building up a spiritual storehouse. See, by gathering spiritual resources into your life before you actually need them, you avoid a lot of hassle. You avoid a lot of failure, a lot of sin, and, and your weakness compromising your life. Now, here at Gateway, the program we use for uh, financial training is Financial Peace University, and hundreds of people have been through that now, and so I know a lot of you have. And it's built on uh, what are called the baby steps. And the first baby step you take is what? 
Somebody? Louder. Emergency fund. A thousand dollars. The first thing you work on is you scrap and you any way that you can collect it, you know, legally and that's good, you collect a thousand dollars for an emergency fund. And that's the first step. There are other baby steps, but that's the first thing you work on in that program. Why? Because you need funds for emergencies, because if you don't have them, then when you have an emergency, you don't just have one problem, you have two problems. If my car breaks down and I don't have transportation to work or to school, I have a problem. But if I can't pay for to fix my car, I now have two problems, and I don't see any way out of either one, right? So that's the first step. If we, if we don't have that, we make our life more stressful and more complicated. I think the same principle holds true not only for finances, but for your spiritual life. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus uh, is talking about how the Word of God, truth, goes out from God, and it's the same truth, but it's received in different ways. And he says that people are like different kinds of soil, and there's one kind of soil that's like a rocky place, rocky ground. And those people hear the Word, and at once... Receive it with joy, but since they don't have any root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of that word, they quickly fall away. So someone says, you know, someone hears something Jesus said, and they think, that's just awesome. What a great way to live. And they, and they think it's wonderful, and, they, and it sprouts up. But they don't have any roots into it yet. And so if, if it comes too quickly that living that out becomes difficult, that person goes, oh, well, forget that. If it's going to be hard, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I just thought, you know, it was a cool idea, but not if it's hard. And sometimes we're like that. Now, that's a negative example, but it's true in a positive direction as well, building a spiritual storehouse. In Proverbs 2, Solomon is uh, teaching us, and he puts it in the format of a father talking to a son, and then he lets us listen in to this parent-child conversation. He says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant. Interesting. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Do you see the sequence there? It starts with some words. Words assembled into the right form so that they are true, and they are they're a form of knowledge. And you take those words, and you begin to understand them. You begin to think about them carefully until it takes root in your heart, and there is wisdom now in your heart. That wisdom gives you a unique ability that not everyone has. Discretion. Discretion is the ability to recognize your choices and identify what's a good choice and what's not a good choice for you. It's a great thing for you to have. Discretion. And that discretion will turn out to protect your life. It's, I mean, it's so obvious. Because now I can see... This path is bad, and this path is good, so I stay away from it. It's, it's not complicated. But it started, notice, with that storing up process. Now, what kinds of things are we talking about storing? Well, this is the, you know, sorry to disappoint you if you needed something novel. This is the basics. 
it's prayer and it's scripture and it's having spiritually encouraging people around you. It's, it's the basics. Think about prayer for a moment. Now, if, if this is not immediately obvious to you, I'd recommend you just go and find, oh, an hour or two and just read all the way through one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Take any one of them and, and think about Jesus' life because it looks to me like he lives life in a little different way than we often do. He lives life, it seems to me, seeking his Father first that strengthens him And then when things come his way during the day that would just throw us completely off, he uses that strength to handle it. And so often we're in a kind of different place. We live life sort of in neutral, knowing that God's there, and we call him Savior and Rescuer and so forth. And and so we're kind of in neutral. We got nothing. Something comes in our way, and we cry out, Lord, help, which is fine. He loves to help. But I see Jesus kind of living the other way around. He gets it out in front. You know, these are, these are not rules. You don't want to make them into rules, but it does make sense. There's a lot of wisdom I see in, in starting your day praying. If your work is stressful and needs to be prayed about, pray about it before you get there. If you would like a relationship, pray before you meet someone. Sometimes after you meet someone, it's too late. You won't even pray about the same things anymore. Uh, and, and on it goes. You know, just anything in life, if you can pray before you get there, I think it's a great idea. Now, this fall at Gateway, we're going to have a, a, a new way of kind of uh, getting more prayer into our life out in front of life. And uh, I, it's something we're all going to do together. And I'm sorry to be a tease, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. But Pastor Bob will tell you in a couple of weeks. It's coming up this fall. Now, scripture is the same way, getting it into your life before you need it. Um, our our uh, Pathways class here at Gateway for Training in Bible Study is called Precepts. And if you talk to people who are in Precepts, you'll hear a really common story. They will say, um, yeah, I, I was really studying, you know, wherever they were, Joshua or Matthew, different books we've done. Uh, and then the next day, I was just amazed at how I saw life different. Something came into my life, and I, had, and I thought, oh, now I get it. And they constantly talk about seeing life different because of what they study. Things they never would have thought or realized that God had a perspective on or help that they received because they had gotten it first more into our life. Spiritually encouraging people, you need those too. Are you in a grow group? It's coming up. Fall is a good time to join one. You'll hear more about that. So basic things, you know, you need people in your life who are going to encourage your spiritual life before you need them. Here's one thing I've noticed about people who, um, sometimes this will happen. Someone will wander into church and they have a huge problem and uh, one of the things, it's not the whole picture, but one of the things they need is more encouraging people in their life. They're living too much in isolation. But it's very difficult for someone in a crisis to, to go, yeah, so I'll go say, could, could I be your friend because I really need people right now, right? We just, uh, it's not a comfortable thing to do. See, yeah, I really need help you know, practically, or I really need help with this bill, or I really need help with a ride, or I really need someone to pray for me, and all these things in life, and you need those people already there, so they'll be able to do it uh, when you need it. Now, what's the secret, though? 
See, while the things that we need to store up aren't particularly mysterious, there is a trick to storing up, and that is you have to be convinced of its value. Going back to finances, I was thinking that if we, uh, you know, if I had a spare $10,000, if you took $100 and you gave $100 to uh, the first 100 people, if we just went out on the sidewalk here, that would be interesting, and the first 100 people that went by uh, gave them $100, I was thinking, how many of them would be at the mall by this afternoon? 90? I mean, most of them we could find over there, right? Because, oh, here's $100 I didn't know I was going to have. I'll, I'll go have fun. The only way you would t- look at that and go, hey, awesome, I'm going to tuck that away, is if you were convinced that having that in reserve was more valuable than the thing you could go buy this afternoon. This is the only way. You have to value it. Now, in the same way, See, if you give me a a free hour, how much of it will be invested in in prayer or storing up scripture or sharing life with spiritual friends and all that? Oh, maybe sometimes, but probably not as much as it should be. We invest ourselves in things in advance only when we're convinced of the value. But you see, I think I see people with, with spiritual reserves kind of stored up in their life. When they do fall, when they do sin, when they have some trial in their life, I think I can see them recovering faster and coming out stronger on the other side of it. And when we're living just sort of on fumes, we're trying to live in neutral, and we got really kind of nothing going on spiritually, and then something happens, maybe we sin or we struggle or, or, or there's some temptation, that recovery is far less certain and, and I see people not really getting much out of it either, not really learning much. So store up spiritual resources. There we go. Here's the second thing, and that is to retreat with Jesus, not from Jesus. With your downtime, retreat with him, not from him. In Mark chapter 6, the, uh, the disciples have been sent out. They were, they were given, they've been receiving training, and they've given a ministry assignment, and they were told to go teach about the kingdom, and they're actually given power to heal people, which had to be just totally cool. And, and, and they did that, and really hard to kind of keep pride out and all kinds of challenges with that, but it just had to be really fun. And they're out doing that, and they come back, and it says they, they gathered around Jesus, they reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I think it's fascinating that his little uh, discipleship university here, his teaching program included all their hours. There wasn't a come to class, and I'll teach you for a while, and then, you know, you just go home, go back to fishing, and, you know, that's your own personal time. I won't interrupt that, you know. I'm just going to teach you some knowledge over here and maybe give you a few exercises, but, you know, that's your... You know, your family life, that's your thing, that's not my thing. He didn't do that. Downtime, rest time, days off were a part of his program. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to get all weird religious on you and say, you know, so from now on, I want to see all your days off filled up with prayer meetings and Bible study. Okay, I don't want you to do anything else. I'm I'm not going there. But neither do I think that we should leave Jesus behind when we're resting. 
See, think about it. Does it not seem to you that too many people end up in trouble on their lunch break, after work, on their day off, on the weekend, during their vacation, over the summer, on holidays? Why? Why then? It, it's so much doesn't make sense in, in so many ways. It's a time that should be strengthening us. We should be coming out stronger, and we're wrecking our lives in those times. See, I think we, maybe, maybe uh, someone's at work, and they're highly focused. I mean, they're in it. And work's kind of stressful to some degree. And, and, and so, you know, there's problem solving involved. And so there's prayer involved. And there's, you know, there's th- throwing prayers up. God, you know, help me with this. This is going to be hard. I've got to talk to this person or, or this activity. I'm not even sure how to do it technically. Help. Help, God. And God's like, I love to help. I love to be involved in your work. And so we're very focused. And we understand, you know, this, this time is about accomplishing something for someone else or the business or the boss or the customers or whatever it is. And we're, and we're really locked in, and it goes well. And we get to the end of the day, and it's fine, right? But now it's quitting time, and it's time to relax, right? True enough, it is, in fact, time to relax. And we say, it's time to relax, it's, it's my time. Y- yeah, kind of. Okay, it's my time. And there's, whether we think it or not, or say it or not, there might even be a sense uh, that, that we maybe need God a little less, because we're just relaxing. Okay, now we're being silly, right? If you really thought that through, that's a, that's a silly notion. Just think about that. There's a time I need God less, okay? If you actually believe that, you're not understanding your own life and God. And then it, and then it moves into, so, it's my time, I deserve to be able to, I don't know, fill in the blank. And the next thing we know, can't believe it, we're abusing alcohol, and we're financially just reckless and irresponsible, and we're, and, and there's gluttony, and there's every kinds of, and form of selfish activity and thought going on, because it's my time. Or maybe we're at school, and and we're very focused there. And being a good student, if you're really trying, is one of the most structured kinds of lives you could have. I mean, it's, there's a syllabus, and you're on a schedule, and, and things are due, and, it, and there's routine. And you want God's help, and God loves to help, and he answers those prayers. But then what comes along? Summer. Summer. Awesome. Is there any feeling like being, you know, 12 years old and it's the last day of school at summertime? I tell you, that is just, I still remember that. What a glorious feeling, right? So it's time to hang out. It's, it's free time. Yeah. It's my time. Yeah, here we go again, right? I deserve to be able to fill in the blank, right? And, it, and maybe I isolate myself, and maybe that's sin or not sin, but I'm, I'm isolated and it's certainly not good for me, or I'm not taking care of other people in my life that God's given to me, I'm not paying attention to them, or I'm lazy, and now there's pornography, and on we go, right down the line, I just filled in the blank because it's my time. 
And there's problems of various kinds and severity, and they come from resting and retreating away from God instead of with Him. Why does it happen? I want to give you three reasons, because we've got to think carefully about this. If it happens at all, it can happen to you, and there's several reasons it happens. First of all, in... Uh, I guess I better have this. In... Uh, I don't need this. In Proverbs chapter 7. Okay, it's too long for me to put on the screen. Uh, and you could look this up sometime. But you know what you do? It, just, just listen. Th- does this not sound like a movie script? Just, I mean, most of you watch TV. If you close your eyes, you could just see Hollywood putting this out right away. Uh, Proverbs 7, starting in verse 6. At the win- this is someone just speaking. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. Really? How do you know that? Well, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house, at twilight as the day was fading as the dark of night set in. He was careless. Wrong place, wrong time. What are you doing there? What are you doing there now? Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She's loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, at every corner she lurks. Temptation is everywhere. You can't live carelessly. It's everywhere. She took hold of him. Now, he's, he's using uh, sexual sin, but you know what? If, if that's not your weakness, just fill in the blank. This could be anything. <laughs> She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. So, you know, are you worried about the moral side of this? Because you don't have to worry about this. I did some things. I took care of that. I had a little sacrifice, and, we, and I went through some vow things. So I've cleared it all up with God. It's no problem. <laughs> Liar. So I came out to meet you. Well, there's another lie. She's not looking for him. This isn't personal. <laughs> There's nothing about him. She says, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. So here's the great lie. A scene of great beauty and wonder. It is not. It's a a scene of great sin and darkness portrayed in another way. She says, come, let's drink of love till morning. Um, My husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he'll not be home till full moon. No one will know. This is your own time. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her. Now, later, he'll say, I don't know how it happened. It was just like all at once. And he's kind of playing that up. It wasn't 
wrong place, wrong time, keeps listening to her, what are you saying, I'm thinking about it. So he thinks it's all at once, it was not all at once. But all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, that cannot be pleasant, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. So why does it happen that we go off into our personal my time and wreck our lives because we're stupid because <laughs> we're careless so the fortunate thing about this one is really easy to fix don't be dumb come on you, you're all y'all are smarter than this guy right y- you are so there's the first thing. Another reason it happens is sometimes we have a view that our life is very compartmentalized. I've got my work over here. I've got my church over here. I've got some relationships, and they kind of overlap a little bit. They're over here. But I've got my personal, inner, private life over here. Now, come on. Stop looking, right? It's mine. It's none of your business. It's not true. It's not true. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 17. Uh, Again, um, dealing with sexual sin, but fill in the blank. It could be lots of different things here. He says, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, he's creating. I don't know if you, if if it helps to put it in mathematical terms or some kind of sequential thing. He's saying, "Listen, this is how you you need to understand. This is reality. You're a Christ follower. You've accepted Christ. You want to be God's child. You understand that the Holy Spirit and your spirit are united. Okay, you have unity with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay." You need to understand that you maybe think differently than this, but the reality is that your designer and your creator says that your spirit and your body are united. You are one integrated whole. You can't do something with a part of who you are over here and a part of who you are over here and keep them separate. You are one being, body, soul, and spirit, and they're integrated together, and one always impacts the other. Okay? Then he says, so... Can you take your your body and a prostitute and join them together? Because that's what sex is. And and it's all about oneness here. It's all about unity. And, And again, we have this clarified for us. This is why sex outside of marriage is always, 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 always wrong. Okay? Because it's about oneness. It's about oneness. So, in sexual intimacy, there is the statement that you are the one that I am most committed to. You are most safe with me. I I most care about you of all the people in the world and all of these one messages. And here's a prostitute and you don't know her name. And so what you're doing is a complete lie. You do not have a oneness kind of commitment to this person. So you can't possibly say that physically. It's a lie a deception. And so now you're going to do that with your body, which is connected to your spirit, which is unified with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, oh, just, I give up. It's ridiculous. You can't do that. But we have this view 
of a compartmentalized life. And again, there's this, there's this thing, you know, that's it's, it's my time and it's my private life. Now, there are things, you, you have a private life, and we don't all need to know everything about you, right? And, and there are things in, in your private life that are none of our business in terms of need to know. That's absolutely true. It would be inappropriate for us to know all the things in your private life. But that's different than saying, this has no bearing on another part of my life. That's wrong. Absolutely false. Your body is unified with your spirit, and we are one spirit. We are the body of Christ. And if your life is hurting, then we are hurting. And if in your private life, while we might not need to know it, if things are happening there that hurt your life, your life with God or your life with others, then we are losing. We are less able to worship together. We are less capable of loving one another and taking God's love to the world. It's just the way it works. It's integrated. It's not compartmentalized. And then the last thing, just to be even, even more fun here, uh, in Mark 7, Jesus says, you know, there's stuff in, in the heart that, that just sometimes it wants out. And so we go, and it's going to be my time. And, and, you know, this stuff comes out of some of us at sometimes because it's there. And he, I, I just get tired of even reading this passage. Out of a heart comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and wickedness and deceit and lustful desires and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. And please, Jesus, stop. It's worse than the news. It's discouraging. But he says it comes out sometimes because it's there. Now, what's our solution? Now, first of all, there was carelessness. And it's like, okay, don't be dumb. And then there's thinking that we're compartmentalized. No, no, you have to change your understanding of life. And with this one, there's just, just one biblical way out. It's repent. If when you go to your personal time, this is what comes out, there's just one way out, and God says repent. You turn away from that, and you turn towards Jesus. Don't retreat from him. Retreat with him. Rest with him. All right. You're probably as tired as I am. Now, what can we do? Uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of negative stuff. What can we do with our downtime? Now, I thought, when I started working on this sermon, I thought, you know, I'm going to need... Oh, wow, we were really late. Um, I'm gonna, Sorry about that. You can have it back <clears throat> some other time. Um, <laughs> taking up your free time. So I I started working on this message, and I thought, you know, I'm going to need a really creative list, you know, 12 things or 144 things that you could do with Jesus on your day off. And then I realized that was going to be really, really silly. And I'm not going to tell you what you can... What you can do, it's not about rules, and we know this, we talk about this. It's about heart issues. It's about following Christ. And yet there are some, some things I think we need help with. Um, we, we would like to have everything fit a category, and yet we have a problem there. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, there's, um, well, and now I'm going to say there's three categories. But so, so the first category, what are you going to put into your free time? 
Well, first of all, there's this stuff, okay? Come on. If that's your weekend, um, then today would be a good day to repent. There, there we're done. Now, there's, there's another category where it's just really obvious, slam dunk, good stuff for you to do. I mean, yeah, reading your Bible and praying and spending time intimately with Christ is good stuff. But there's 10,000 things. I mean, reading a story to your child or your grandchild or going, taking your dog for a walk or go hiking and just be impressed by your creator and worshiping through that. I mean, there's just 10,000. I don't need to list them, do I? I mean, there's 10,000 good things. There's more good things to do than you could possibly do the rest of your life. There really are. They're just obvious slam dunk. You know you're in the right place. And then there's a third category, which really isn't a category at all, and that's our problem. It's all that stuff in between. It's all the stuff in between. So here we go. Hold on to your hat. So I actually... um, don't drink, so I borrowed this from a friend. Uh, I got in trouble last night for just calling it beer. This is a Black Butte Porter. <laughs> like I care. Okay? So, here we go. Um, is this a good choice for my free time or not? Okay, that's what i got to figure out. Now, it, it didn't... It didn't fit in the first category. I don't think it fits in, in the other category either. We've got all this stuff in life that's in between. And, and while, while some of us would really, we've exhorted and we have tried for God to draw a line and put it all in one or the other, God's laughing. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. I want you to learn wisdom and I want you to live by faith. So here we go. Wisdom and faith. So I've got two choices. My choice could be to not drink that, and we'll take that first. What do we think about the choice of not drinking that? Romans 14, Paul's talking, and he says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. The kingdom of God's not about what's in this bottle. It's about a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, actually, sorry, I skipped something. Let me go on before I do this. Now, in your life... What's in this bottle might not be a liquid. There could be a big old flat screen TV, surround sound and theater seating. There could be a boat in here. It could be your iPod. It could be uh, lots of different stuff in this bottle. So, you know, if this is not your life, just don't, you got to, this is really hard, I know. But in this bottle, there's something out of your life, okay? But we're going to use this as, to try and illustrate so, the, what I learn is that the kingdom of God isn't a matter of eating and drinking. So, what I learn is that my choice to not drink that does not earn me righteousness. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, but this is not about the kingdom of God. So, either way, it sounds very neutral, but it doesn't get me righteousness. Now, if, if any of you had the slightest inkling that Pastor Bill was more holy because he had to borrow a beer, I'm sorry, a Black Butte Porter, (laughs) you actually were wrong. I don't, there's no more righteousness in my life because I don't even know what this is. So it's neutral, and therefore it's a reasonable choice for me to say, no, I don't need it. I don't need it to be righteous. I don't need it to be accepted. I don't need it. I can, I cannot drink that. And it's a a good choice 
unless wisdom tells me that I have a problem. For instance, if not drinking was something I used to judge other people, now something has crept into my heart and I have a new problem with God. If not drinking was my litmus test of spirituality, when God has been very clear that the kingdom of God is not about this, then I have a problem and not drinking has become a problem for me. The solution to which isn't drinking, but I have a problem. You know, not drinking is a problem if that's where my heart is, okay? So there we go. Remember, could be a boat, could be your vacation, could be lots of things. Okay, now my other choice, to drink. Well, we already said it was, it was a neutral thing, therefore, it's a reasonable choice for me. Unless wisdom says it's not a good choice for me. And how might that happen? Well, let me just try and simplify it with, some, with an old kind of paradigm we've used before, and that's three directions, up, in, and out. Up, your relationship with God. Unless wisdom says this is a problem for your relationship with God. Now, in uh, Romans 14, um, Paul's talking about both meat and drink, and he's talking about meat at this point, and, and he's like, I can eat any meat. I, I believe that God says I can eat any meat. But if anyone regards something as unclean, that piece of meat, then for him it is. In other words, it's a matter of your conscience. And he says, if you don't think God wants you to, then you can't do it. And that might be puzzling to you, like, well, wait a second. If the reality is God says that's not a problem, but I think it is, isn't the solution to to get over it? Well, I don't know. At least immediately Paul says, no, the solution is to not do that. And we think, wait a second, how, how is that true? Well, think relationally again. Think relationally. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I really thought you wouldn't want me to borrow your car, but I did it anyway. And, and you're thinking, well, I really don't have a problem with you borrowing my car, but you, you did it when you thought I would have a problem? Suddenly you're like, wait a second. <laughs> See, relationally, that's like really awkward, not good. And, and I think, That's part of what this is saying. So, first thing, if this is a problem with your relationship with God, then don't do it. Or or meat. You know, if if you feel that God doesn't want you to eat meat and you should be a vegetarian, that's what you should do. Paul said, I think all meat's clean. But your conscience and your relationship with God is a part of the wisdom you need to apply to your choices. Okay, second direction. I know we're really long. Sorry, Lee. Um, uh, In. Okay, let's limit this just to physically. So, so up with God, in, personally. Let's limit it to just um, physical. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So, in other words, your, your, your body, God takes very seriously. Your physical well-being, God takes seriously. And he says he doesn't want you messing that up. You're a temple for the Holy Spirit. So, this, again, is a neutral thing, and it could be an okay decision for me unless my doctor says, you know, you can't do that anymore. Then wisdom says, you can't do that anymore. Right? If your employer says, you know, this is really uh, bringing some doubt as to whether your next paycheck's coming. (laughs) Wisdom says, that's not a good choice for you. If, if your bathroom scale says, you know, this is getting to be a problem, <laughs> it's not a good choice for you. It, it, 
it's a problem. And, and that's physically. Okay, last one. Out your relationship with God or your relationship with others. Romans 14, 15. If another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it or drink it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. If your friends are telling you they think you have a problem, you have a problem. Period. I don't want to debate it anymore. You have a problem. If your family's uncomfortable, if your spouse is distressed, that should not be. It's not a good choice for you. And yet, you see, remember, there's all kinds of things in here. <laughs> the things in this bottle, time after time after time in our lives, in our culture, we are constantly saying we love what's in this bottle more than the person we're married to, more than our children, more than the people around us. And it makes me... It makes me want to cry and be really mad at the same time. God says, it should not be. It should not be. All right, I know you guys are just getting tired of beat up here, so let's, uh, let's, let's finish up. You know, if it, if it, there's all this stuff in the middle and you need wisdom. If it compromises your health, if it hurts your relationship, if it puts distance between you and God, it's, it's not a wise choice for you. There's something better. There's a thousand, a ten thousand good things to put into your life as you retreat and you rest with Christ, not moving away from Him. Those who are spiritually resilient, I think they rest and they refresh in really healthy ways that invigorates their faith. Should not your day off, should not your vacation, shouldn't your summer leave you feeling stronger and, and, and better in your relationships and more alive physically and with God? It absolutely should. Don't sell yourself short of those very things. It's what God wants for you.